When should you see a provider about headaches? That's next on Scope Radio. This is Tom Miller. Access to our experts with in-depth information about the biggest health issues facing you today. The Specialists with Dr. Tom Miller is on The Scope. I'm here with uh, Susan Bagley. She's a nurse practitioner, and this is her 20th year taking care of headaches this month. And Susan is also vice chair of the Department of uh, Neurology. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. I think a lot of folks have headaches and they treat them at home and with different remedies. But when would you suggest a patient might want to go to the doctor to have their headache evaluated? Uh, Well, the simple answer is when things aren't working at home. So if their over-the-counter medicine seems to be less effective, if they start taking more of it, which can perpetuate a daily headache, which we can talk about in a little while, but also when things change about their headache characteristics as well. Quality of headache. Right. Quality and character. So different from what their baseline headache may be every day if they wake up and it's a little low ache to wake up in the morning and they're vomiting with a headache, for instance. So what about the folks that have what they would consider to be mild daily headaches? Is there such a thing and is that different than a migraine headache? Well, it can be. I mean, the interesting part about headache in general, it's genetically predisposed in the population. So not all people actually experience headache. In fact, if you look at the statistics, migraine is about 12% of the American population, which is more than asthma and diabetes combined. So it's a very problem. common problem. And in fact, it's a you know public health disaster right now. Part of that reason being because people treat it as a pain condition, not a neurologic disease, and end up maybe getting opioids to treat or pain pills to treat it versus a specific so, so pain medicine. So opioids being narcotics. Right. Is that, Lortab, is that Percocet, right. those kinds of medicines right. can actually contribute to more headache. So do you think a patient who has migraines or what sounds like a migraine should see a physician? I think so, especially when it's interfering with their quality of life, because a migraine itself isn't based on just level of pain or what people often think isn't a migraine unless they have a visual problem or a spot in their vision that makes it a migraine. So, Only 8% of people actually get aura, as we call it, before the headache comes yeah, on. Yeah, the common migraine is much, much obviously more common than classic where you get the aura. Correct. Is there, are there Susan Bagley's countdowns for what is a migraine headache versus just a daily tension headache? Or is there even such a thing as a tension headache? Sure. The migraine headache, if you think about it, is one that we always attached to a level of disability for the most part. And the reason being is people who have migraine have a much more sensitive brain. So, for instance, if you were car sick as a child and your mother told you, look at the horizon, it tells me as a patient, they probably had much more sensitive experience to their environment. So smells bother them, sounds bother them, noises bother them, lights bother them. So what happens is that gets revved up in the brain. Then they may have nausea. It gets worse with activity. They want to generally lie down, find a dark room. The the pulsing. Not be active. Correct. They can't keep working. That's why it's such a problem for the work environment. And if they move, it makes it worse. They climb stairs, they make it worse. The, The pain itself then can be anywhere from mild to severe. And so many patients might have mild migraine and don't seek a healthcare provider because it's not interfering enough. What kinds of things should they be telling the practitioner? I mean, should they take a, a history at home before they go see the, the practitioner That's about their always headaches? Or what super should helpful. they do? When did their headaches start? Did they start in childhood and increase, say, for a, a young woman during their menstrual cycle? Did it change with Common. pregnancy? Did it change after somebody got a head injury, even though they uh, never had headaches before that? Family history is incredibly important. And oftentimes, if a young child has a headache and a parent of them had headaches, they know that this is probably a migraine. But seeking healthcare advice is providing that history to the healthcare provider to say, I get a headache that makes me sick to my stomach. I miss work. I have to lie down. The Excedrin kind of medication isn't working anymore. What do you have for me? 
So what about environmental triggers? I mean, I know physicians and practitioners generally will talk about, well, you know, the, the common myth maybe is that did you eat chocolate or do you get headaches when you drink red wine? I mean, does that hold up under scrutiny? Sure. We know okay. actually that there are true Physical triggers, environmental triggers, perfumes, for instance, can be a terrible trigger to somebody with migraine. So it's a reason for some people not to go to church, and I give them a hall pass for that. So (laughs) other times, things like food, so MSG, the um, aged cheeses, salami, bologna, things like that can actually increase the trigger for headache. So one of the goals of a headache diary and treatment is to look and see, do they always get a headache after certain meals or drinks? You mentioned the menstrual migraines, and so certainly that's cyclical, and, and, and women might be able to pick up on that. What about fasting? I've heard fasting might be a cause of migraine headache in some people. Yes, there's an insulin gene associated with the migraine phenomenon, and so oftentimes when you lower your blood sugar, it's a trigger to a headache. What we encourage in all of our patients is actually to eat every two hours some form of lean protein with a carb, not just carb eating, and clearly having to hydrate. As you know, in Utah, we're the second driest state. We're at altitude. So other things that already predispose us to be dehydrated or dry is another component to headache and headache management. Always recommended to my patients a minimum of 84 ounces of water daily. And then we take into consideration how much caffeine they may be drinking, whether hot or cold. Well, talk about caffeine. Do you think, is caffeine a trigger of headaches? I've heard in some, in some situations, maybe caffeine mitigates migraine. It can. So it's a very interesting phenomenon. Many times when people use caffeine as a rescue agent for their headache, it can be helpful because caffeine actually makes medicines work better. That's why we have drugs like Excedrin migraine, and that actually has caffeine in it to augment the aspirin and the Tylenol. However, too much caffeine can actually exacerbate the headache because it's a rebound phenomenon. So Sounds too much, like the Goldilocks phenomenon. Not too much, <laughs> not, not too, too little. That's true. I tell my patients, you know, I'm willing to go between 12 to 20 ounces of caffeine a day and usually not after 3 p.m. so that they can enjoy their caffeinated beverage, but making sure they're getting plenty of water in addition. Now, what about alcohol? Now, obviously, if someone overindulges, they're going to have a headache, which is known as a hangover in the morning. I'm not talking about that. I may be talking about someone who might take just a little bit of wine at a dinner party and then develop a headache. It's more common, Tom, with red wines, hopsy beers, um, and just in general, some of the other straight liquors. So one of the rules of thumb, I tell patients, if you have a drink, make sure you always have at least 12 ounces of water in between or after the first drink before you decide to have a second drink. And again, hydration is key. Certain liquors can be less migranogenic, if you will, meaning perpetuate a headache less frequently. Um, And sometimes that's just by trial and error with the patient to see. But for instance, white wines that are sweeter, Gewurz demeanors, Rieslings tend to be more tolerated in a migraine population. The red wines, Merlots, Cabernets tend to be more offensive. So subtle things like that, that maybe a Shiraz would be more tolerated for a red wine for a patient, maybe a consideration. I don't generally have a big, long discussion in my practice about what drink to drink, but I think we should offer those pieces of information to our patients. So what about with chocoholics? Problem? Dark chocolate, an ounce a day. Enjoy it. So is there a headache that a patient should pick up on right away and then scurry to the emergency room? Are there certain types of headaches that you've got to get... Got to get attention to pretty quickly. And we maybe call you could describe one headache that. a thunderclap headache that is probably the biggest risk of a new headache experience for a patient. And that is literally what it's, what it's called, the feeling that something just went kaboom in their brain. This is pretty not frightening. A, yes, pretty frightening. And, and we worry that this could be a bleed in the brain that needs immediate attention. 
So sudden onset, very severe headache, go to the emergency room, get evaluated, especially if you haven't had a headache previously. Right. right? And these can occur in exercise, can occur with sex. So different types of headache, weightlifter headache, because that increased pressure in the chest can be a very scary headache that later can be ruled out as a weightlifter's headache versus a thunderclap. What types of treatment can a patient expect from a provider? You know, 20 years later, 1993 was the first year that a medication came out that was specific to the treatment of migraine. Prior to that, patients became quite accustomed to be get, be getting narcotics. I, For example, Demerol, Percocet. And that part of that was the only other previous drug that was used to treat migraine were the ergotamine families. And that typically induced vomiting. So you already had a patient who felt sick. You gave them a medicine that we were hoping was going to take care of their headache, but we made them terribly ill with it. Mm-hmm. One of the thoughts behind you know, why narcotics or big dose injections of Demerol and other medicines like that work is it really helps the patient go to sleep. And we know that sleep is a recovery mechanism for headache. And that's one of the issues we talk about in people with chronic daily headache. If they really aren't getting good reset and sleep, like you think about the breaker box in the basement, you know, to reset your brain, you're always starting your day half tanked, if you will. And then triggers come more easily to get more headache. But that's not how we want to treat things today. No, nope. We want to use very specific medications to treat the migraine for what it is. The class of drugs that became available in 1993 are called the triptans. So many drugs are now actually have become generic, but have been known as Zomig or Maxalt or Imitrex in that family of drugs. Most patients can take those drugs with a caveat of history of stroke or high blood pressure that's not managed or cardiac disease. So it's not a free-for-all on who can take those, but they have very nice efficiency in treating the headache and getting people back to quality of work and life. It's a remarkable class of drugs, and I think it's revolutionized care for the patients with migraines and different migraine-like headaches. Right. So a patient coming into a physician's office, what shouldn't they expect in treatment of headache? I think one of the issues is If we don't have our patients educated that migraine specifically is a neurologic disease and not looked as a pain condition. So what happens in the world of busy clinicians is someone says they have a headache. It's thought to be a pain condition. And what do we use for pain? We use pain pills, not necessarily a headache-specific pill. So I think the bigger paradigm shift that we've seen is the change of the expectation that when a patient has a diagnosis of migraine, they get a migraine-specific drug. And if they're having more than three to five migraines in a month, they should actually be put on a medication to help prevent the headaches from occurring and lessen the frequency and need for a rescue drug. Perfect. And I mean, we all know that the addiction to narcotic medications throughout the country is at incredible levels right now. We don't want to see that increase. And so I think, again, patients going to see a physician about headaches should not expect to receive narcotics. I would agree. And I think one of the the scary parts about what patients experience when they take a narcotic, oftentimes this also treats an anxiety. And so when people have pain, they get nervous and Mm -hmm. they take a pain pill. It makes them feel better, though it doesn't actually perhaps take the pain away. And so they reinforce this feeling of wellness that's not actually curative to the disease or to the the episode of headache. Susan, let's talk about a couple of other treatments such as acupuncture or physical therapy or Botox. Does that have any role now in treatment of headaches? Sure. Let's start with the FDA approved role of, of Botox. So two years ago, it became very clear through clinical trials that Botox did reduce the intensity and frequency of migraine, specifically chronic migraine. We define that as more than 15 days in a month experiencing migraine symptoms more than four hours per day, light sensitive, sound sensitive, throbbing, sick headaches. 
So it's a series of 31 injections within one visit's time to see the physician and repeated in three-month intervals. What was seen is that it reduced the intensity and frequency at least by 50% of the pain threshold. It does not take away the necessity, perhaps, for other preventive medications on board in conjunction with Botox as well. Um, But there have been many patients with great response and actually have been able to get off of many medicines or lessen the doses of medications because of Botox. So it's very important to be sure if a patient is looking for somebody who provides Botox for migraine, that it's with the FDA-approved Botox treatment versus just getting a bunch of Botox in your forehead so that you don't have wrinkles, but it's not going to be treating necessarily all the points in the migraine. How about acupuncture? So acupuncture can be quite helpful. There are studies that looked at both acupuncture and with uh, nerve blocks and trigger points. And what we know is that the patient response rate for just what we call dry needling, which is which is acupuncture, is still pretty high in comparison to people who are getting drugs injected into their muscles. So it can be helpful. Certainly, it's a safer approach in some patient populations that can't take medications either, pregnant women, for instance. So I think acupuncture can be helpful. It's usually a complementary approach to the addition of other medications that are on board. Physical therapy, again, we see people frequently who need to have some postural advisement from a professional to help them understand. Are those the folks that have sort of chronic daily headaches, maybe from from the position they hold at work? So their workplace is probably the biggest issue. I think that when they're sitting in a chair and they're slouched over or they forget to sit up. So one of my recommendations to my patients is setting an alarm on the computer. So if they have Microsoft Outlook, once every hour that they have a chime or use their, their smartphone for an app, so they remember from an auditory cue to sit up. If it's a stay-at-home mom but a soccer mom who's driving kids all over every day, I just tell them every time they get to a red light, sit up, posture, and take some deep breaths, and then carry on. So again, I think the more we become in tune to the body and the body's response to pain, it changes that paradigm as well. Do we have evidence? Do we have good evidence that those kinds of things help? I think I can speak to my clinical experience as far as evidence. There are some studies looking at mindfulness in pain. Um, and patient engagement. And I think one of the issues that is always at the forefront in a very common disorder is the more a patient is engaged and involved in treating their headache and, and watching for what are the triggers, they have higher success rates. And, you know, in many of our patient population these days, we see people going to more of a spa medicine experience where, you know, what can I do to be more to engaged be rather to, than just give me another pill. Right. So I, like I think that. at the end of the day, making sure people are doing the right things like good hydration, healthy eating habits, exercising every day, and becoming part of that healthy lifestyle, absolutely it makes a difference. Have a question about a medical procedure? Want to learn more about a health condition? With over 2,000 interviews with our physicians and specialists, there's a pretty good chance you'll find what you want to know. Check it out at thescoperadio.com.